Welcome to the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. This is episode 87, Monday, January 22nd, 2024. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Today, the killer bees are with us. Blaine Disrude, research analyst. Welcome. Hi, Danny. And we got Dr. Brian Jacobson, chief economist. Welcome to you. It's great to be here. Big thank you to everyone who listens. If you like what you hear, please uh, subscribe and share it with a friend and family. If you're a new listener, welcome and Hope you enjoy what you hear today. Brian, do you want to kick us off on what the economic data is this week? Sure. Yeah, it's actually a really interesting week. We do get the S&P Global Purchasing Manager indexes. These are the preliminary readings, so kind of a first look about at some of the soft data around the health of manufacturing and services, not just in the United States, but globally. Thursday, we get the fourth quarter GDP numbers. The third quarter, it was 4.9% annualized, and the consensus is calling for about a 1.8% annualized growth rate in the fourth quarter. So a downshift, but still pretty healthy pace. And then Friday, personal income and spending data for December. That's really a key one as far as looking at Fed policy, mainly because you have personal spending, obviously, but then also the PCE deflator, which is just a fancy way of saying the Fed's preferred inflation measure. That one is being released. We already kind of know what that's going to be because we got the consumer price index and that correlates pretty highly with this PCE number, but still sometimes it can uh, throw you a little bit of a curveball. So really interesting week coming up. And I also almost forgot to mention, we have the European Central Bank. They're going to be having a policy meeting. They've been chatting a lot about what their rate cutting expectations are. Uh, I believe in Davos, Christine Lagarde was talking about how, you know, it's a little too soon to cut. Let's think maybe summertime. And I think the expectation right now is to have four cuts for this year. So beginning in June, maybe it's 0.25 percentage points. So we'll see what they say this week at that upcoming meeting. Uh, Now, when it comes to the actual SWOT framework, let's kick off with some strength. I think that when I look at the economic data that just came out, there was some decent strength there. Damage has been contained as far as with rate hikes, at least so far. Retail sales were better than a lot of people expected. Maybe some of that could be because December was unseasonably warm. Uh, The Beige Book, which came out, so that's the Fed's collection of qualitative information from around the United States, that said consumer spending was surprisingly strong. Yeah, and it was like pretty much across all areas of retail sales. It wasn't just like this one specific sub-asset or sub-sector of retail really outperformed. It was pretty widespread. So it's, we've said this, the consumer's been resilient, but it just continues to show up in the data. It's like resilient and spreading, right? right? I mean, before it was resilient because people were doing the whole leisure, hospitality, Taylor Swift kind of thing, but now it's spreading to other pockets of spending as well. We also got some data saying that manufacturing bounced a little bit we have had from the Institute of Supply Management, their manufacturing PMI showing about 14 months in a row of declines or contraction in manufacturing. But the hard data, as far as what companies are actually producing, that came in a little bit stronger than expected. Yet going back to that whole beige book uh, that the Fed releases, that said that manufacturing continues to struggle. So kind of this disconnect between that soft data 
from what people are saying and what the Fed is observing in that qualitative information, and then the hard data as far as what companies and consumers are actually doing. So those would probably be, from my perspective, some of the big strengths so far is the retail sales and maybe manufacturing getting a bit of a footing. Uh, what are you seeing on the fixed income side? We went through a lot of 2023 talking about potentially adding duration, looking at the portfolio as a whole, knowing that there could be potential for credits to deteriorate, but still having credit exposure in the portfolio. We closed out 2023 with a bit of a bang from fixed income. I mean, duration played out very well for anyone who had it in the portfolio with interest rates on the 10-year treasury going from 5% down to now where we're flirting around with 4%. Credit continued to perform well, and some of the main observations that we've seen within credit has been the fact that companies continue to do well. Spreads are, which is your yield to maturity on a corporate bond over benchmark treasury would be. Uh, those spreads continue to be on slightly on the rich side, but for reasonable reasons, um, corporations continue to do well. And then also a bit of a technical aspect of it, the government has been issuing debt. And Todd Voigt, our chief investment strategist, has talked about this. The fact that there's so much treasuries being issued in the market and you've had this more or less drought of corporate issuance is you get this crowding out effect, if you will, of mm -hmm. spreads have to tighten because there's just so many treasuries out there and the Fed isn't buying treasuries with the fact that they're doing quantitative tightening. And we'll talk more about the quantitative tightening aspect. It just leads to spreads naturally contracting just based off of those issuance of supply versus demand. Yeah, those technical factors, as sometimes they call it, right, as far as the issuance or the lack of issuance, is really important to follow. It is something very unique this time, as far as Todd, our chief investment strategist, pointing out a while ago that those spreads, maybe it's not so much that the yields on corporate bonds are too low, it's that maybe the yields on treasuries were a bit too high, which is very different than what we've seen in other cycles. Right. And so maybe that explains why spreads are as tight. I was looking at the high yield index as far as just the complete lack of issuance, like the market capitalization of the index peaked back in just after COVID, you had a lot of issuance and it's been coming down. I'm curious when that issuance is going to start picking up, but uh, maybe oh, yeah. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. We'll on talk that. about it in threats. <laughs> That's right. Well, how about some of the weaknesses then? When I was looking at what happened this past week, some of the weakness was really related to the Fed and their big pushback on the market's expectations for you know six rate cuts in 2024. Governor Waller on the Federal Reserve Board, he's the one who back in December kind of set the table perhaps for the possibility, the maybe of a rate cut in March. He never came out and said it, but I think that's the way people interpreted his comments in this past week. He really took that off the table, seemed like, really said that it's really premature they want to proceed methodically, systematically in cutting rates. They don't have to be in a hurry. Some people have said that he's the one who opened the door to a March cut. And so this past week, he slammed the door shut on that idea. And then I was also listening to the speech by Federal Reserve President of Atlanta, Rafael Bostic. And he had said, 
his base case is that they can probably start cutting in the third quarter of 2024. But he did also leave it open that it could be sooner, right? So I would say that some of the weakness is this ongoing, really wrestling match between the Fed and the market as far as how many rate cuts there will be and when they'll start. And that leads to uncertainty, right? So market and market participants who are trying to determine when rates will come down or where we might find economic slowdown from all this tightening and trying to price that in and determine, okay, should I purchase this bond or purchase this treasury at this rate? Is it appropriate? Is it a fair value? Am I getting compensated for the risk that I'm taking? It, it leads the market to constantly try and reevaluate that and reprice that. And that leads to the volatility that we've talked about coming from fixed income and the ability then to potentially manage around that. And I, I think it'll be good to use that as a segue into our opportunities of duration management as one of the big opportunities going forward and actually has been over even the last year plus um, ever since the Fed really started their, their tightening s- cycle here. When we get into this period of not knowing exactly how the Fed's going to handle, one, the economic data, which has continued to surprise on the upside, and two, not knowing exactly when they want to cut based off of that data leads to rates potentially becoming range-bound a bit. Uh, And using duration to your advantage there instead of just holding what you have and, and, and in essence letting duration just be in the portfolio, trimming around those edges can allow for reduced volatility but also opportunity to capture alpha with that reduced volatility as well. Yeah, I think that's a a great perspective on that is that during this wrestling match, it does create that opportunity in order to trim maybe a little when the yields come down towards, you know, some lower range, and then you add when it gets to an upper one. So it requires some of that vigilance in terms of monitoring it and then also acting on it. And I think that's one of the things that maybe a lot of listeners sometimes can struggle with, which is why you work with professionals because, well, that's what we get paid to do, (laughs) you know, is to monitor it and act on it on your behalf. Um, I I think one of the big opportunities is that when we were looking at a lot of the research coming into 2024, consensus calling for a continued slowdown of the economy, somewhat reminiscent of the consensus going into 2023. Although that was a little bit more extreme, everybody said that there was going to be a recession. We were of the view that it was going to be more of this rolling or roving recession continuing to hit like manufacturing, housing, but consumer spending likely to stay robust. We're likely to see it begin to slow. So I don't think that is really an outside of consensus view. But maybe the outside of consensus view that we have is that we do avoid another recession because still it does seem that there is this growing chorus of sometimes we refer to them as recessionistas, uh, people who are constantly calling for a recession. And, you know, it's possible and we think quite likely that the Fed can actually stick the soft landing. A lot of that does depend, though, on maybe the big opportunity is that if they start to taper their quantitative tightening program early this year, let's say maybe not at the January meeting, but it's at the subsequent meeting, that if they begin to taper their quantitative tightening there, so they stop or at least slow the shrinking of their balance sheet, then that affords them the opportunity to start cutting rates more methodically so they can cut almost 
into economic strength and it's not going to be a reaction to extreme weakness. And so if that's how it plays out, you know, that could be a decent setup. And when I look back at 1986, uh, 1996, 2019, those were periods of time in which the Fed was able to cut rates somewhat slowly and methodically and avoid a hard landing. Now, 2019, of course, people would counter that, well, what about 2020, right? You had that COVID recession, but that was a COVID-driven recession, not a Fed-driven recession. And so maybe this is a bit of a mulligan for people who like to play golf. I'm not one of them. I'm not even very good at mini golf, but my understanding is that a mulligan, it's kind of a do-over, yeah. right? And so maybe the Fed's getting a bit of a 2019 uh, redo here. And what's interesting about it, right, is 2019 was going fairly smooth until they started hitting a few hiccups with the the plumbing mm. work right mm -hmm. and i think and we talked about this just this week right of them learning a lesson there and now being very cognizant of that going into what we're seeing in the reverse repo market of withdrawals from that facility and that causing a flag in the fed's eyes of saying hey we want to make sure we have ample liquidity in the system this is moving in the right direction as far as inflation, economic activity hasn't fallen off a cliff yet. Let's start projecting out what we could do from a, a cutting standpoint and a tapering and ending of tapering standpoint. And next week, I think we'll hear from the Fed as far as what their thoughts are on that and just the thinking about thinking about tapering and or ending the tapering right and not having a tapering tantrum if you will i think that'll be having that coming online and then discussing that the market can digest that understand that okay we might actually get that soft landing and if we do let's price that into the market appropriately and that'd be good for credit and other sure. aspects of the economy instead of just driving it into a recession which is always a threat when in a tightening cycle. How do you think that might play out then as far as let's say curve positioning or anything as far as with uh, any opportunities there? Yeah, what's real interesting is we've seen the curve actually start to uninvert, right? Typically speaking, when you see the curve uninverting in a tightening cycle, what has historically happened, and Brian, you're going to know this better than I, but that's when you see that market start to sell mm -hmm. off. And that's generally because the economy is actually slowing down and the Fed's having to react to that. And we're getting kind of the reverse of that where the Fed's almost being somewhat proactive and yep. seeing that. It's just a matter of do they maintain that, right? And are they able to actually cut back in a proactive manner without having the economy just fall off a cliff. Sure. And honestly, that was one of my biggest fears last year was that the Fed was going to continue to be reactive as opposed to proactive. But back in December, it did sound like they changed their perception a little bit. Instead of driving by looking through the rear view mirror, they decided to start looking through the windshield instead. Right. And that leads to, I mean, inside a fixed income portfolio, having some credit exposure, duration management, like we talked about, those are opportunities to position yourself in a way that allows for you know, good returns, respectable returns, just given where the, the economy and those corporations sit from a fundamental standpoint. Mm -hmm. That all could lead into the big threats, right, of the Fed just doesn't do it in the right manner. They try, they try and execute. Obviously, they have good intentions to try and make sure we don't go into a massive recession. But if they get caught up on certain data points or certain things in the economy that they're looking at and think that they have to keep that Mm -hmm. you know tightening in place and it causes that issue to occur uh then we 
then we have that threat pop up. Yeah, I, I would hope that's a lower probability event. So when we kind of talk about the opportunities and threats, we always have to assess what's the probability of each one. And I would put the threat as the Fed making that mistake tanking the economy as a much lower probability than the opportunity, which is that they actually are able to stick that soft landing. But uh, like you kind of point out, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? They might have the right intentions, but the data that they are using to drive the car is subject to so many revisions. And actually, Governor Waller pointed it out. He's like, hey, you know, this CPI number that we just got, um, it looked a little hot, but maybe after revisions, it's not. They're going to be doing some seasonal adjustments. So after you go through the revisions, and that's why they don't want to be perceived as being overly reactive to the data as it comes in. I think Chair Powell paid the price. Well, actually, I think the market kind of paid the price when he had uh, reacted uh, to the University of Michigan's preliminary reading of like inflation expectations after the revisions came out it comes to find out that it wasn't nearly as bad and so i think that uh, they hopefully learned their lesson and you know the fed as an institution they do learn from their mistakes but then it just means that they create brand new ones in the future instead that are that much harder to predict so if if the fed does kind of i guess you know fumble the football uh then that does create some threats but what would you think would uh, are some other threats that are kind of lingering out there and might exacerbate the problem if the Fed is a little slow to react and they do let the economy uh, slide off the cliff as opposed to sticking the landing? Realistically, on a more intermediate time frame, and I, there's a bigger, longer term time frame to this too, but the more intermediate one would be you have rates have come down here recently, right? You have spreads we talked about are relatively tight. That was one of our strengths. From a CFO standpoint, if I'm running a company and I want to issue or bring on a new project or I just have debt that needs to be refinanced, right, this isn't a bad time to bring that debt to market. Mm -hmm. We talked about there being a drought of corporate issuance. We might see the flip of that going into the first half of this year where corporations, especially in the high yield space, start to bring debt to market and you end up having what was a drought turn into a flood, right? Yeah. And that would cause that technicals coming back into the conversation of a bunch of debt coming online. Spreads have to widen out because there's just so much debt issuance and the supply is more than the demand can take on. And that could lead to then corporations who did bring on debt or are trying to bring on debt getting seized up, and now we have a, a potential breakdown in in those markets. Um, so that's one intermediate threat. We have had low default rates going through this whole tightening cycle. Brian, you talked about how you know companies went through 2020 and 2021 and issued a lot of debt through that period, and they did a really good job doing that and extending out the the maturities on their. Uh, maturity schedule but if we see that default rate start to pick up the trend has been going higher we're mm -hmm. getting back to what would be considered quote-unquote normal but that trend in that trajectory is suggesting that it might go past that yeah. normal and and that could then have domino effects which starting as idiosyncratic turns into more of a s systematic problem for, sure. the, for the market yeah and that's a good observation is that default rates have gone from below normal to normal, but it's defined as normal because it's an average. And so that means that you have periods of times where it's low and periods of times when it's high. And it does tend to have where it swings from unusually low to normal to above normal. And we'll have to see what that swing looks like here. 
Yeah, anyone who had debt over, I think it was $50 million of debt issued, uh, the bankruptcy filings or the, the initiations of bankruptcy filings was one of the highest that we've seen over the last 20 years, just last year. Hmm. Granted, looking forward, it wasn't as big of a number that is, is expected, but that can always change. So it's just from that trend-setting perspective, something that needs to be monitored and yep. watched. And the internet, do you know what the acronym TLDR stands for? Too long, didn't read. Too it? long, didn't read. And normally you put a TLDR at the beginning. RTLDL, <laughs> too long, didn't listen, is at the end. And that's when we do the wrap. What are our headlines this week? As far as our headline strength, what's that? I would say the headline strength was really so far the economic damage has been contained. Headline weakness. We're wrestling with the Fed's communication. Headline opportunity. The Fed won't tank the economy. And our headline threat. We're going to flip that on its head and so they will tank the economy. Ooh, ooh, cage match. All right. (laughs) Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, episode 87. Thank you for listening, folks. Brian Jacobson, our chief economist. Thanks. Thank you. And Blaine Disrude, research analyst. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast. 